Welcome to China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I'm John Artman, editor in chief of TechNote, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this week we do a deep dive on gaming and esports in China, and we were lucky enough to get、uh, Daniel Ahmad on the show. He's an analyst at、uh, at Nico Partners.、Uh, they're a research and、uh, intelligence firm looking at、uh, games in China, and so we we. Talk a lot of、uh, talk a lot about the the general kind of、uh, outline of gaming and esports in China, but then we also go pretty deep、uh, when it comes to Tencent and some、uh, and and the the ecosystem that they're creating. Exactly, yeah. Daniel, I, I first started to pick up on Daniel on Twitter. He's got quite a following. He's he's very much a KOL、uh, in this area. Very very well followed.、Um, given that you know they specialize, Nico Partners specialized just in Asian gaming, and particularly the China market. And、uh, their reports are really really good.、Uh, you know. I think we've both been following、yeah. uh, their stuff for a while, right? So、um, for for us, it's nice to have Daniel on. He really got deep knowledge, and、um, and that's why we that's why we invited him, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think that you know, you you and I, Matt, we've talked about、um, some of these topics、uh, in, in depth in some areas and kind of in passing in other areas. But I think he was able,、um, Daniel was able to give a lot of context to、um, some of these discussions that we've had previously.、Um, and I think also, you know, he kind of changed the way that I look at a lot of these. Things、um, as as well, and in particular, looking at how、uh, Tencent strategy and kind of how they're going to be moving on from Honor of Kings, but then also looking at esports and how the narrative、um, is. It's it feels like it's this huge kind of thing, but actually, it's still very much in its infancy and has and still has a lot of room to grow. Yeah, he seems quite excited about the prospects, quite bullish. And with that, we give you Daniel Amat. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. So, one of the first questions that we like to ask、um, all of our guests is is what's what's your China story?、Um, but you know, since you're not really based in China, maybe we can broaden that out a little bit to talk a little bit about what you've been doing and how you got you know to to where you are covering、uh, covering China. Sure. Well, I've always been interested in the games industry myself. Uh, so following it、uh, on a global level, I guess. And so one thing that caught my eye was、um, sort of how quickly China has developed as a、uh, you know gaming market, and how we're now at the point where it's the largest gaming market in the world. And so a few years back, I set out to do some research on this market, and I opened up my own sort of blog website and started、um, you know, writing articles, putting out reports. I got a lot of traction on there, which was really great at the time. And so what I actually decided to do was、um, look to see if I could do this professionally. Found an opportunity with、uh, Nico Partners. We've been covering the、uh, China games market for 15 years now, and so、uh, last year I took up a position with them. And since then, I've been working on、uh, covering the China and Southeast games market,、uh, the China and Southeast Asia games market、uh, for them, and you know, writing reports, putting out blogs, and、uh, staying up to date on everything that's going on there. So, so for you, I mean, I'm curious, what is it? What is it for you that attract that attracted you to you know following the games market so closely?、Um, well, for me, it started as just As a passion for gaming generally, so I've always been,、um, I guess, a gamer at heart. And then seeing just,、um, you know, how unique and how different China is compared to my experiences、uh, in the UK, for example,、um, is something that drew me in. And I've always had a bit of a passion for、uh, Chinese culture and history, anyway, in the past. And so I think that's what solidified my choice to、uh, really kind of、uh, double down and, and learn a lot about the market. How would you describe the the China games market? And you know, how is it different from other markets? I mean, is it different from other markets? Yeah, I would say. 
it's, it's, it's completely different. Um, for one, it's now, you know, a $24 billion market. It's the largest market in the world, um, which is something I don't think a lot of people actually realize. Um, the main difference as well is that a lot of the games are uh, online-based, they're social, uh, they're free-to-play, and they're based around PC and mobile, whereas in the West, uh, console takes a bit of a bigger uh, stance, and you know, mobile perhaps is not as big as PC at this point. Um, but in, in China, it's, it's the complete opposite, and you'll find that a lot of these games as well um, are from just a few companies that uh, do uh, really well, so for example, Tencent or Nutties, and there's a lot of uh, regulation behind the market at the moment, which is something that you don't see in the West. Yeah, the landscape's completely different, um, and you know, so that's that's really quite a challenge for for you. You know, being you're based in the UK, right, uh, Daniel? Right? Um, Correct. Yeah, like myself from from Britain. <laughs> yeah, it's good. We we need more British people on this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I'm a start, I guess. Yeah, a lot of the digital scene here. There's loads of French here in in, in China doing stuff, but in, in not, not so many Brits. Especially, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, but back to the point. Um, so it, it is different, and we're in a completely different um, you know, sort of ecosystem. How have you seen it evolve o- over time? I mean, like you're saying now, it's the biggest market. Um, you know, is 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 it getting the rec- also is it getting the recognition that it that it should? What um, that you f- you feel compared to you know where it is right now, or are people is the general sort of perception a bit behind of, of where it should be? So the market has evolved from primarily a sort of PC um, uh, market to one that's now completely dominated um, by mobile games. When you look at it, um, PC is still the largest um, segment of games, but mobile is getting to the point now where you know in 2018 mobile is going to be bigger than PC, and that's really down to you know how accessible mobile gaming is and you know how uh, how big some of these mobile games are getting um, because of that and sort of how they're operated as a uh, live service over uh, you know a very long period of time. And so the the market I think is I want to use the word insular where you know the, the companies that operate within China usually dominate within China, and so there isn't a huge amount of export revenue being generated at this point. But we're we're getting to the to you know the, the point in China where Southeast Asia is is kind of picking up Chinese games. Um, even the West is starting to sort of see the appeal of Chinese developed games or games that are popular in China. And so in a few years' time, we can actually see um, a lot more influence from Chinese developers and publishers in the West. Are the titles in China do they translate well abroad? You know, is there like because we've been talking a bit recently about uh, Honor of Kings and you know, it's coming outside of sure. China. You know, what what are the challenges there? Uh, do do games translate well, or are they you know what would be the uh, are there some good case studies here? There are a few. Um, I think a lot of the challenges that Chinese developers face is getting um, the actual um, perhaps storylines of the game into sort of a Western environment. A lot of games in China uh, will be based on perhaps Chinese history, so maybe the Three Kingdoms period or sort of the Journey to the West novel. And so a lot of gamers in the West just aren't familiar with those type of games um, and, and those kind of storylines. And so that's one big challenge right there. Uh, the second challenge is that games in China as a whole are you know, very online-based, uh, they're free-to-play, they are extremely social, and they almost have sort of a, a pay-to-win and competitive element built in. And in in the West, there's been a bit of a stigma towards that in the past. We are seeing that change, and we are seeing that uh, you know esports is now growing a huge amount in the West. We're seeing that free-to-play is now a dominant uh, model on mobile. Uh, a lot of people are warming to that sort of um, gameplay model. And so whilst it's taken a long time to get there in the West, I think now uh, the market is ready for these kind of Chinese games. Uh, they utilize that model and it's just a case of localizing them to appeal to western gamers tastes and that's why for example with honor of kings whilst there are characters from chinese history in there they've also tried to add in um, characters that are known in the west so for example uh, tencent's apartment with uh, dc comics 
to bring Batman into the game. And so that's one of the, the ways that they're sort of saying, well, look, you know, for the Chinese version, there's all these Chinese characters, but for the Western version, you can play as Batman, who's quite well known. And, you know, well, I think everyone knows Batman. Well, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, Honor of Kings, they're, they're, they're trying out uh, to go to go global and to enter other markets. But there have been other companies, Chinese companies in the past. I'm thinking of in particular of Snail and, and Perfect World, which also made forays um, into, uh, um, you know, international markets. So what, what happened with them? Were they were they successful at all? There's, there's been varying degrees of success for some of their games, and others are just outright uh, you know, not taking the market at all. But the, the, the key for them is that they launched a number of MMO games, MMO RPGs, and that sort of genre in the West isn't as big as it is in China, whereas MMOs are, you know, the number one and number two genre in China. In the West, there's only a few that really sort of uh, stand out and, and do well, and they're mostly sort of PC games. You don't see that genre a huge amount on mobile, which is where uh, Perfect World and Snail games have moved um, in China. And so I think there's an opportunity in the West for those games, um, but right now there isn't that audience there um, for those sort of MMO titles. Interesting. So um, so you, we mentioned a little bit about um, eSports, and that's, that's one, of the, that's one of the things that I think that, um, for, for Technode at least, we've been covering um, more and more, uh, in particular as it applies to, you know, games like like Honor of Kings. Um, but uh, but also, just, just in general, you know, Tencent, they've, they've put a lot of attention into this area, and it does seem to be growing um, here in China quite quickly. But before we really look at what's happening here in China, can you just give us a brief overview of esports in general? I mean, like, how did, how did it get started in the first place? Yes, esports has been a concept for quite a while now. Effectively, what it is is just uh, competitive gaming. And so there's all these sort of games that have grown um, through that sort of competitive gaming uh, view. And so you've got these games such as League of Legends, uh, Counter-Strike, you know, Dota, that um, have this competitive element and have uh, grown these sort of um, esports uh, kind of uh, markets out of them. And so you've got professional players who are playing those games um, in professional tournaments, which are set up by um, various companies or the, or the uh, developers of the games themselves. And then from that, you've got sponsorships and advertising revenue coming in uh, from uh, companies that want to get behind that growing scene. And really, that's kind of backed up by this whole uh, fan uh, economy or ecosystem. We've got hundreds of millions of um, esports fans who are interested in playing the game, watching the games, and even participating themselves, whether it's at an amateur level or a professional level. And so, you know, the Dota 2 International um, is one of the, the most popular kind of esports tournaments. I think that's sort of popularized esports uh, very recently. And so the 2017 tournament just finished. And to show you how big it is, I mean, it's, it's grown from a, a prize pool of about $2 million, I think, back in 2011 to, um, I think, around $20 million this year. So there's been huge growth in esports uh, globally. And in, in China, it's, uh, I would say it's grown even more. So talking about the uh, esports market here here in China, how, how big is it? Who are the major companies and, and what are the, the key numbers? So we actually just released a report, um, an esports report uh, for China uh, about a couple of weeks back. And so the, the main takeaways from that report is that you know, the market continues to grow in 2017. We're looking at a, a market size of 1.26 billion. And I want to make clear that that's not revenue from uh, esports games, but from the actual um, esports market itself. Certain tournaments, live streaming platforms, etc. Uh, player payout, for example. And so in China, you know, esports has, has grown to the sort of uh, cult-like status, um, and that's especially to professional gamers. And so the growing popularity of, of esports has led to sort of uh, professional players uh, becoming, I guess, many celebrities. You call them big celebrities as well if you want. And esports has been a key driver of the games industry itself. It's been responsible for a resurgence in internet cafes. It's been research. Uh, it's been responsible for a resurgence in competitive gaming itself. And China now has some of the uh, 
uh, most popular esports games thanks to uh, mobile gaming which is something that you don't see a huge amount of in the west I would say uh, mobile esports gaming is I want to say more China specific it is growing in the in the west you've got games like Vainglory for example that are quite big but Honor of Kings to give the example you were talking about a few weeks back um, is the biggest esports game uh, mobile esports game in China and because mobile is accessible it's easy to play it's easy to stream games and it's easy to get hooked into games um, mobile esports is actually now one of the key drivers for esports in China as opposed to PC games and that's what's going to be driving the market over the next few years Do you think like uh, esports is going to in your analysis and in the report I suppose you guys went into it quite deeply is esports going to affect sports? Is it going to affect sports? I honestly think there's there's going to be um, a divide between esports and sports as there is now and it's it's not going to change a huge amount um, esports will always be competitive gaming it'll always have its own sort of um, uh, industry and kind of ecosystem and sports will always be separate but there is going to be of course um, sort of collaboration and investment between the two especially when you look at um, actual sports games um, sports simulation games for example like NBA 2K uh, online or um, you know FIFA online um, mm. there will be investment from those sports companies and those specific games but generally there won't be a huge overlap but but looking at mobile uh, or esports powered by mobile games I mean you know from from my perspective I you know I just found out about this uh, a few months ago from the uh, the mobile world Congress um, in Shanghai, where they had a uh, a match of uh, of Honor of Kings, and they had people up on, up on stage um, and some TVs um, in in the background, kind of uh, showing off the, uh, the the match. But I mean, it's it's it felt kind of weird um, because you know, like with um, with you know games like Dota or or League of Legends, you know, you're playing on a PC, and there is this sense of okay, this person he's looking up, he's looking at a screen, kind of up and and out. Whereas when when you're playing on a mobile device. You're just kind of looking down, and they're what they're doing is they're taking this uh, fr- relatively small screen size and, and and projecting it up into into a larger um, a larger screen. And so, so I'm curious. I mean, like how, like why do you I mean? Is it is it just that people love these games so much that 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 kind of contradiction doesn't doesn't really register for them? Do you think it's an interesting question? I think it's more a case of um, mobile games being so popular and so accessible at this point that you've got these um, you've got about you know um, 300 million. Uh, mobile gamers in China right now which is more than the number of PC gamers there and so it's it's a case of size and it's a case of the fact that these games have extremely uh, large user bases uh, they continually engage with players at all times because you know it's a mobile game it's a mobile device um, they are competitive games they have all these social elements in them and so people become drawn to these games very easily and so they become interested in the in the actual live streaming element uh, the esports elements one because they can watch from their phone uh, two when they go to tournaments they can see professionals play Playing the game that they love to play, and so I don't think it's—I uh, don't think you know—just because it's mobile means that it's invalid or not an esports or whatever. And I know you're not saying that, um, but you know, there's a, there's a huge audience that loves these that loves these kind of games, and so I don't think it matters too much that it's not on the PC because they're seeing the same game that they play, and a lot of people who are esports fans have aspirations to um, either play professionally or amateurly, and, and they actually can have the ability to do that. Tencent, for example, has uh, leagues that operate in colleges that operate. Uh, locally at a provincial level as well as the obviously big King Pro League which is a professional league and so all of these uh, gamers and fans are really enthused with the game and so it doesn't matter too much that it's on PC because they know it's a mobile game and that's why I like it mm. um, yeah and, and now in this in this sector we're seeing you know celebrities come on board um, you know um, we talked about it in in one of the previous episodes Jay, Jay Joe who's like super famous Taiwanese singer um, Wan Tatong mm-hmm. who is uh, the son of one of the richest uh, most famous uh, sort of businessmen in China um, you know they're moving in into the 
this area of esports and like building their own brands, their own teams. Uh, what do you make of this trend? I mean, it's, it's only a good thing, I think, in, in my opinion. And, you know, we, we've seen uh, Wang Sukong uh, found his own team, but also uh, become the CEO of Panda TV, one of the uh, largest live streaming platforms in China. And so the development that they're bringing, not just in teams, uh, is a positive to the industry. And ultimately, they're able to uh, kind of collate and bring together uh, their fan bases um, into the esports ecosystem. And that, in turn, helps grow the uh, overall esports market. And so you see this across many different industries where celebrity endorsements uh, will aid the growth of a various industry or product or, or whatever. And so we're just seeing the same thing here. And I think I'd expect more and more uh, celebrities to get on board um, with gaming in general, but also esports. So you see it, you see it as kind of just a, a mainstreaming trend, as it were. Effectively, yeah. It's, it's, it's what we see across all different industries. And it, it, there isn't a huge amount of difference here because the outcomes are going to be the same, where they uh, bring investment to uh, the esports market, where they uh, bring their fan bases into esports, into the esports ecosystem and where esports gains uh, you know more notoriety really uh, across the mainstream so before you mentioned um regulation and how you know the the gaming industry and and esports in general is is you know china is one of the markets one of the only markets that actually has uh regulation government regulation um on the market but it seems that you know the chinese government does have a bit of a of a contradictory attitude towards towards these games on the one hand you know for example the people's daily called honor of kings poison um, on the other hand, esports is you know recognized as an official um, for, as an official sports program. So I mean, so I so how do you how do you explain that that contradiction? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question because you're right. Uh, the Chinese government and sort of the, the Ministry of, of Sports did recognize esports as early as 2003. In fact, it was listed as one of the um, one of the official sports of China. And so you know, 2003 that's what 14, 15 years ago now at this point. So it's been a very long time, and yet we still see these um, articles come out about um, sort of negative gaming influences. But at that time, going back to 2003, the, the main goal um, was to sort of uh, grow the IT sector and the um, IT uh, businesses and kind of boost the economy a bit. And so the Chinese government did endorse esports, um, even at a time where regular, um, the regulation stated that, uh, you know, concert games were banned or that uh, games shouldn't have um, games should have anti-addiction measures built in uh, to PC games, for example. And so China's always taken that sort of uh, stance of esports, even if they've, they've regulated the environment. And we're now at the point where uh, China recognizes esports as an official degree um, in colleges across the country. Um, but at the same time, they are still regulating the environment to um, ensure that games don't become too addictive. And that's why we've seen all the Honor of Kings articles and why Tencent have posed their um, uh, restrictions there, which are self-imposed actually at this point. But in general, uh, China does take a, um, a, a supportive stance and that has actually held sort of the negative stigma around games uh, sort of dissipate over the years because there has been a negative stigma there ever since you know um, 2000 with the console ban but esports has now been legitimized and that's helped uh, remove that negative stigma and you know, people now see esports as a valid uh, career uh, path whether that's you know coaching or actually being a professional player themselves and so that's one of the, the benefits really uh, to that but you're right there is still that sort of negative stigma there um, in general and that mostly comes from parents it comes from the media and so the Chinese government does still regulate quite strongly uh, a number of games yeah that's it's really interesting too because it seems that you know introducing anti-addiction measures it's a bit antithetical to the game itself you know you know you hear game developers um, talk about you know how can we make our games addictive or you know people in the industry they refer to you know great games as being addictive um, and certainly for myself you know the best games that I've ever played there's always been that sense of um, you know one more level uh, one more 
try and things like that until I'm, you know, up at, at three o'clock in the morning when I have to work the next day or something like that. Um, so, so I mean, like, is it is it is it just the, the kind of the natural, perhaps, you know, in a moral sense, like the government doing their job, um, or is it or is it you know hamstringing ha- hamstringing uh, the games industry in China? You think it's more case of China being quite uh, paternal, uh, to be honest, and in, in their kind of views. And so what they will do is take on board um, what parents say, what the media says, and put that into the regulations that they do put out. Um, but one thing I will say is that these regulations don't impact the games industry as 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 as, as harshly as most people think they do. And that in the end, what China is trying to do is facilitate the growth of gaming and esports, which they did by legitimizing esports. And even the regulations that they have, uh, they frame them in such a way that it doesn't um, have a, a huge negative long-term impact. There might be some short-term impacts, but generally every time we've seen uh, the government introduce these anti-addiction uh, policies or laws or kind of approval for mobile games, which they did last year, we've still actually seen the industry continue to grow. And, you know, publishers have actually got, a, they haven't got around it, but they've, they've taken on board the, uh, the regulations and they've kind of worked around it in their favour um, to still put out games and to still grow the user base and to still grow the overall market. And so what you see with this Honor of Kings um, restrictions is that they've done the math, they understand that they're getting on, um, they're bringing on more users than ever at this point. They understand that users on 12 don't actually play more than one hour per day. They understand that by introducing their 10 cents uh, parental controls program, they're giving parents the ability to trust their games and uh, trust 10 cents themselves. And so in the end, it actually means that you know anyone over 18 isn't affected. Those under 18 can still play the game as they would normally. They're not affected a huge amount in terms of hours that they can play. And parents are actually more trusting of 10 cents now that they have the ability to cap spend and cap play time and sort of regulate their own children uh, playing the game. Yeah, so th- that's interesting because last, you know, uh, we were talking about it in a previous episode how uh, I believe that there is, a, surely there must be a systematic risk to companies like Tencent in this area um, where essentially they have a conflict of interest with the government, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it's undeniable, but that there is a there is a conflict there. And, and what we've seen, you know, with, with gaming, the mobile trend, as, as you had just been discussing previously, um, it makes it so much easier to play games when it's just on your device, which is on, you know, in your hand all day. And um, and then couple this with the fact that the game, you know, Honor of Kings really just personifies this so well because the game has done so extraordinarily well and uh, has integrated itself into society and it's this very social game. Um, whereas, you know, where, where does Tencent go from this? You know, if, if, their, if their games continue to become more and more popular, um, they, I, I, could, I could see it being a, a risk for them. Do, do you see it the same way, Daniel? What's your take? What I would say on that is, is really that uh, Tencent has an extremely strong pipeline of games and they're continually adding to that. In the past quarter, we've seen them uh, release, I think, five games uh, on mobile. Um, one of them is Contra uh, from Konami, based on the popular console IP from the 90s. And then they've also released uh, Dragon Nest Mobile and Dragon Oath uh, Mobile, um, which are two sort of MMO-style uh, games. And what you'll see is that uh, Tencent have these really huge games like Honor of Kings and others as well that, that perform really well. And then they're continually adding brand new games. And because Honor of Kings is operated as sort of a live service game with constant updates, constant promotions, uh, new users coming on board, um, you know, a, a, a wider ecosystem through esports and live streaming that continues to uh, generate as much revenue, if not more, uh, than what it did last year. And, and that's true this year where you know, Honor of Kings has seen revenues uh, jump sharply. And so they'll continue to support Honor of Kings over the next decade, as they did with PC games in the past. And all of these new games are adding in- incremental, venue, uh, incremental uh, revenue at this point. And I, I don't think we're right at the point yet where there's going to be a cap on, on mobile games revenue. 
revenue because we're still seeing more people enter um, and, and buy smartphones and sort of enter the mobile games markets and we're seeing average revenue per user um, increase as well as you know obviously salaries increase and gamers discover more games and uh, it look to do better in them. Right and so you mentioned that I mean a lot of the the gaming models in, in China are, are free to play and, and pay to win and so when you're talking about revenues you're talking mostly about um, people people buying buying items people buying in-game currency stuff like that yeah correct so I mean those are the, the two kind of let's say um, the basic microtransactions in games so it could be uh, characters skins um, items whatever you want and so and, and in-game currency as you say and because there's that um, sort of competitive elements in these games the social elements as well and sort of wanting to be at the top of the leaderboard or wanting to be a VIP player you'll find that a lot of gamers uh, will pay and in fact there's even this industry where I don't know why but gamers will actually pay others to play the game for them so that they can have a higher rank or a uh, or a you know <laughs> certain items or certain abilities and it's, it's quite interesting to see that evolve and, you know just to see how deeply um, uh, you know engaged a lot of people are in these games well it's it's funny you mentioned that because I used to play uh, World of Warcraft when I was in in university for for a little while and I remember hearing about um, character farms in uh, based in China where um, you know these these young men th- their job basically was to sit at a um, an internet bar and just level up characters and then those characters were then sold to to other players um, but at the time I'm not sure what the what the the rules are now but at the time uh, Blizzard did not actually allow this and so anyone who did that uh, was technically skirting uh, the regulations and the rules that Blizzard had had set in place um, but so so now is it is it is it like an accepted is character farming these types of things is that an accepted um, accepted phenomenon I mean do do Chinese companies do they try to stop this at all it's funny you mention that because history does have a way of repeating itself with honor of kings being so popular popular now that is you know one of the things that Chinese gamers um, are doing and whilst there isn't any regulation around it as such it is it is of course found upon um, but and you know you will find that you know perhaps Tencent or other companies will put out notices saying you know don't do this or, or they'll go to the websites directly and say please take down these listings but uh, in general you know if you know where to search or you know which websites to go to you will find accounts you will be able to buy them uh, you will be able to pay people to play you, uh, on your account and it's um, that's a lot more accepted than it was but it's still frowned upon by the companies of course yeah and also you know the, the whole the whole pay to win uh, phenomenon is is super interesting we talked about it previous in a previous episode um, but uh, but so but this idea that in you know in in the West you know as you were saying that pay to win um, has, has been kind of frowned upon and I think that's that's definitely it's definitely changing um, but in China it seems that, that it's been fairly fairly well accepted um, since since the beginning yeah in, in China it's been the case since uh, the early any kind of PC gaming days you know late 90s early 2000s where uh, online gaming and free to play gaming um, became huge just down to the fact that you know piracy was rampant at that time no one could really afford $60 for a game up front that, that, there wasn't a huge amount of gamers who would pay that pay that amount especially when piracy existed instead cafes were the main way of gaming and of course because they're not personal PCs they can't store all these um, you know, save files um, offline so they do it online and that's why um, free to play games uh, social games because of the internet cafe environment and online gaming became so uh, prolific and accepted um, back in these days and um, that's something that's only grown over time and with the introduction of mobile gaming we've seen that a lot of PC game IPs have been um, kind of moved onto mobile tailored for mobile devices and a lot of the top 10 grossing games in China on mobile right now are you know just PC games from the past which have been uh, brought over to mobile and so it really is a continuation of what we've seen in the past and the West doesn't have that history uh, or that sort of model built in there's only really until I guess League of Legends came out that free to play and sort of perhaps pay to win or, or even uh, you know 
uh, that that style became popularized. And we're now at the point where I think it's a lot more accepted in the West. And that's a big opportunity for uh, Chinese companies in terms of being able to bring their games over rather than create a whole brand new experience. Okay, um, I want to ask something, Daniel, about um, Apple. And, um, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, IP, uh, in-app purchase, right? And uh, especially with tipping recently in China. Um, but, you know, how important is the uh, uh, Apple users for, for the for, for gaming in China? What what is there? Have you guys done analysis on that? What's the breakdown in terms of revenue that's coming from uh, from, from iPhones? So iPhone is still the most popular uh, sort of phone and brand in China, uh, even if it has sort of uh, went a bit very recently, um, but it's still up there. And so, you know, the Apple App Store is still very important to a lot of Chinese publishers, just down to the fact that the, the kind of uh, users that purchase these games, um, so if you purchase kind of in-app uh, purchases, are, are more likely to spend more uh, if they have an Apple device, uh, purely because they're able to afford, you know, the thousands or the hundreds of dollars or whatever it is for an iPhone these days. And so they are able to spend more. Um, it's not across all games. So Android users will spend more perhaps on, on releasing more casual games, but on sort of the more core um, MOBAs or MMO titles, you'll find that iPhone gamers do spend more. And that in general, um, you're looking at sort of a 60-40 split on uh, iPhone spend versus Android spend for gaming, uh, even when the actual um, user base split is more kind of 80-20. So iPhone users certainly do spend more. And all of the game publishers want to keep um, kind of Apple on their own side. And so you will find that in a lot of cases, the publishers don't have a huge amount of choice and they do have to abide by Apple's rules. But you will find that there is going to be, uh, you know, the sense of pushback when Apple do push it too far in the case of the 30% tipping, for example. So that's 40% in terms of the share for Apple, 60% for in terms uh, of Android, roughly. 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 Yeah. So yeah, it, it seems uh, they are, you know, those users are punching above their weight quite considerably. Yeah, I would say so. And it comes down to the fact that they um, spend more on the phone in general and, and that they have the ability to spend more in games. Uh, so usually that's how it goes. Have, have, you know, what techniques do, obviously game developers in China hate giving 30% to Apple, right? They, they really don't like it. Um, are there any ways around that for them? In general, there isn't a huge amount, there's, there isn't a huge way around that. And that's purely down to the fact that Apple you know, imposes their, their Apple Pay system um, you know, onto the game, onto the App Store. And so for Apple, it's a lot harder. Um, for Android, it is a different situation where the operator might have their own App Store that they distribute through, or they might have agreements that are more preferential. Um, but in general, there isn't a huge amount of leeway uh, with what they can do on the Apple App Store. Yeah, I mean, they I mean, you know, potentially they could do what, what Amazon does. You know, if, if you want to purchase, you know, obviously on, on iOS, you can download the Audible app, you can download the Amazon app, um, but you can never actually make a purchase through these applications. Amazon just is, does, does not have that have that option. Uh, if you want to make a purchase through Amazon on iOS, you have to go into Safari and then on the Amazon actual website or, or Audible website and make that purchase. But it seems that doing that for games, for IAP for or, or other types of purchases for games, taking people out of that experience, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be very, very conducive to actually encouraging people to, to spend money. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And there, there are some cases where that does happen. So, for example, NetEase um, have a popular game called Fantasy Westward Journey in China, and so they have a, um, a version of the game that is interoperable with um, with the PC version. So you can uh, sort of save the game on, on one and resume on the other device. And so what they've done is have it so if you buy um, you know in-game currency or in-game items on the PC, it will also transfer over to the mobile game. And yep. so that um, that does get around it. Um, but you'd never find a game where um, similar to the Audible case where where they don't have um, in-game purchases within the mobile uh, application itself because too many users will just want to purchase um, the, trans- uh, the, the microtransactions through the game and you know, going out of the game
game going to a PC isn't always an option and really it's only an limited amount of players that will actually do that. So. Uh, maybe we talk a little bit about, you know, uh, just uh, very recently, um, Tencent released their Q2 report um, and, and, you know, Tencent dominates this area of gaming in China. Um, well, first off, you know, do you think that's healthy, Daniel, to have te- one company having such a large chunk? Um, is it is it seen as something that's good for the industry or do a lot of people moan about it? What's your take on that? I think it's, it's a product of the regulatory environment um, in China, but also a product of, of just how strong Tencent is and how they've been able to, to, to really grow and, you know, dominate the market. And so, I mean, if you go back to 2010, they weren't really a huge force in gaming at all. Um, in fact, you know, this past quarter, they generated more revenue from gaming than they did in the entirety of calendar year 2010 and even 2011, perhaps. So, you know, it's only really been in the past few years that they've grown a huge amount and it's their strategy uh, that's worked. And so that's, you know, developing internal games um, that have strong appeal. It's licensing games from overseas and bringing them to China. It's their M&A uh, strategy as well, which has worked. And then all of that is sort of encompassed by their, their social network platforms, such as WeChat and QQ, which are really great drivers uh, of getting users into those games. And they're really great kind of distribution platforms as well. And so Tencent is very much a product of uh, the regulations and, and of their own strengths. Is it healthy? Um, I mean, there's still plenty of room for you know other developers and publishers to enter the market. We've seen Wonder Cinemas and uh, I think Alibaba very recently as well uh, released some hit games which have done quite well. So there's certainly room for new entrants, um, but usually you'll see them more from established com- uh, established companies. And I think there is perhaps a bit of a unfair disadvantage towards smaller developers or independent uh, developers because of the dominance of the large companies. So you said something really interesting there. So you said they changed their strategies on gaming, right? They started developing more in-house. Can you explain a bit, a little bit more about how you know how this leads to you know more more revenue for them? Yeah. So the the, the games that they developed, um, it, the games that they developed originally weren't uh, actually that original. A few of them were perhaps you know, just copies of, of what was successful in the West or sort of what was um, popular at the time. But they didn't put too much thought into it. And so what they what they did um, you know, a few years back was look at the market, look what's popular, and not just develop a game because it's popular, but really tailor it to the Chinese market, the tastes and needs of of the gamers there and uh, learn from sort of what other games were doing at the time within China and how they were popular. And so that's why Honor Kings is the number one game in China today because their strategy of, of um, acquiring right games, getting right from them, uh, right games of the developers, uh, League of Legends for those that don't know. But um, so, so, you know, using that strategy, uh, learning from right games and developing their own sort of mobile offshoot version of that game um, has led to huge success. And as I said before, that's really amplified by the fact that Tencent has grown its uh, social network platforms through WeChat, through QQ, through its, own, through its own mobile app store as well. It's like it's a mobile app store. And so it's been able to promote those games. And because they're good games, they you know, stick in the word of mouth. It's been a huge driver. They then created a large ecosystem through esports, through live streaming. Um, and that's what's helped those internal games grow. Now, on top of that, they've got licensed games, they've got games that they buy, and that's helped them solidify their position in the market. How important are the social networks, you think, to the success in gaming? You know, if they didn't have WeChat and QQ, would they still be able to get away with what they're doing in, in gaming and be so successful? Is it, is it absolutely critical or is it just a... I would say they wouldn't be as successful but they would still be successful. There's two components to mobile games in China and, uh, and the first is that the game has to be good, has to be you know addictive, has to be good to play and there are you know a good number of Tencent games that, that do um, have that and, and you know, Honor King's obviously been a big example that we keep going back to um, but the second component is you know, obviously channel distribution and how do you get the games out there and because Tencent have this um, large uh, social presence and ability to uh, 
target various gamers through their social networks, that does make it so that games which perhaps aren't as big can be even bigger. And it gives uh, overseas companies or perhaps um, you know, even companies in China a reason to partner with Tencent to distribute their games. You know, so the games that Tencent released in the past quarter, uh, Contra, Dragon Nest, and Dragon Oath, are all um, licensed games. And there's a reason that they partnered with Tencent instead of you know, self-publishing or going with a different partner. And the main reason is because they have the ability to um, you know, promote the games via their social networks. And so we're at the point now where Tencent can kind of quite easily say to companies, there's a reason to partner with us. And the biggest reason is you know, because of WeChat or because of QQ. Mm. Um, so when they go outside of China, right? So now we all know Tencent and, and Alibaba dominate China. Everyone's talking about you know the next wave of them going outside China. And we're seeing a flurry of deals across all different types of markets now um, as these guys step outside. So for Tencent and gaming, um, how do you see this, this this going? You know, they've already made some big, big acquisitions um, and they're lo- you know they're pushing the big titles out outside of China. Um, it, but what are the main challenges for, for, for what would be the main challenges for Tencent in, in internationalization of, of what they've been able to achieve here in China? Well, just going back to what you said just then about acquisitions, I think that's something that a lot of uh, people don't realize is that Tencent does have um, you know, ownership in Riot Games and, and Supercell. Um, Riot Games has the biggest PC game in the world. Supercell has the biggest mobile game in the world. And they also have stakes in, in various companies like Activision Blizzard and Miniclip and you know, Blue Mobile and various others in the West. And that's one of the ways that Tencent has been able to sort of build its presence overseas and also learn from those companies, but also utilize those companies for its own overseas presence when it launches games. So, you know, Tencent uh, has partnered with Garena to bring its games to um, Southeast Asia, where they've done quite well. Um, in the West, they've partnered with uh, Miniclip and, and Glue Mobile for a couple of games. Admittedly, they haven't done that well. Um, and I think, again, it goes back to the challenges of um, actually having games that appeal to um, Western gamers and aren't so China orientated in the sense that they are not so heavily pay to win, uh, that they are in genres that appeal to Western gamers, and uh, that they don't rely too heavily on perhaps Chinese history or fantasy, which is something that Western gamers aren't used to a huge amount. Um, you know, there's always a limit on how successful those games be without sort of broadening the, the storyline of both of those games. And so one of the games that Tencent is releasing in the West this year is, of course, Honor of Kings, um, which is known as Arena of Valor um, in the West. And so the um, the game is now out in Europe and can be downloaded. And I think you know, what Tencent is aiming to do there is, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, is sort of uh, you know appeal to Western games as much as possible by likening it to games like the, uh, League of Legends, uh, Vainglory, adding in sort of a Western element by adding in characters such as Batman, but also promoting the game through uh, esports and live streaming. And so whilst, you know, Vainglory has been extremely popular um, through professional esports in the West, I think Tencent are now looking to replicate that and grow it even further. So it'll be really interesting to see what they can do this year. And the game isn't out in the US just yet, but it is launching this year and it's going to be something I think everyone should, should watch and see how it does. Do you expect it to have the same success or similar success or anywhere near similar, the amazing success it's had in, in, in mainland China? Uh, would it be successful in mainland China? I don't think so because the China market um, has really taken on board that game and made it their sort of um, number one kind of cultural hit. Uh, in the West, there is a chance for it to do well. The, the early indicators are so positive. In Turkey, uh, where, the soft, where it was soft launch, it did it you know, very well and was uh, one of the top ranking games. It did even well in Southeast Asia as well. Um, but whether it can have the same sort of hit appeal, um, I mean, that, that's something we'll have to see. And I think you know, one point to make that, I, you know, we all talk about how big Honor of Kings is, but really to put it into perspective, we released a uh, report on the uh, China games, uh, China mobile games market for the first half of 2017. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Honor of Kings, which is, you know, predominantly uh, the revenues generated in China, and it's only released in Southeast Asia, but, but pretty much, you know, it is a China game. Um, Honor of Kings was the number one grossing game worldwide um, across iOS and Android 
Android for the first time for 2017. And so that's with the game being, you know, only out in China, really. And it's been the biggest game in the world for the first half of the year, even though it hasn't released in half of it. Yeah, I think I saw some stats on that. Um, it might have been from you, actually, on Twitter or something like that. Um, yeah, it is amazing. And, and it's I think there's a lot of sectors where people don't realize that uh, if, if you uh, if you do really, really well in China, you can end up being top of the world in, in your in your area online just because the, the, exactly. the, the scale of the market's just uh, it is comparable, you know, to in many ways to, to everything else, um, which is, yeah, it's um, people people forget that it's easy to get. And it's you think, oh, it's just one country, but it's it's not that simple. Um, but that's that's amazing statistic. Yeah. OK, so um, I'll try and get the try and look out for that report. Um, yeah. um, so so, Daniel, I mean, we're coming we're coming close to the end. But I mean, I think that, that one of the one of the questions that I'm, I'm really curious about is how do you see, you know, like, so, for example, Tencent in honor of Kings. I mean, like, how do you see that progressing? Um, are they going to con- try to try to come up with a follow up hit or do you think they're just going to try to continue to try to capitalize um on honor of kings you know um incubate and and accelerate the uh the esports around that or or how do you how do you see their their strategy going forward yeah it it would certainly be be the latter in this case where you know we've seen the game come out in 2015 and in 2016 it was the largest game in china and we all said you know this is this is the peak maybe uh or or perhaps that you know this is this is as big as it gets because you know it, it was huge in 2016 i don't think people realize just how big it was last year and then in 2017 it's grown even it's grown even bigger uh, to the point where there are you know 200 million people playing this every month you know 200 million that's more than the population of some countries uh, and i think that's a, a testament to just how much Tencent have been able to uh continually update the game and also grow the ecosystem outside of the game you know you find that there there are now um instead cafes that have opened up special dedicated spaces to people who want to play on of kings which is weird because it's a mobile game you can play it anywhere but you know that's how big the game is people will go to instant cafe to play on a mobile phone to play this game and it's it's something that's, that's really just played everywhere all the time and talked about all the time and so with honor of kings the, the goal now is to continually um you know provide updates to the game to continually grow the ecosystem through esports through live streaming through uh, new updates new characters and you know whilst we're not going to see a sequel anytime soon uh, i think that shows just how i, I want to say similar the, the the mobile games market is the pc games market and that you can have these games come out and you know continue to operate a live service for a number of years and still be successful you look at some of the biggest pc games in the market today such as for example fantasy westward journey um which came out in 2004 and it's still you know one of the top five uh grossing games this year and so i think that's something that we're going to see with honor kings um 10 years from now maybe 15 years from now it will still be you know maybe not number one but it'll still be people there'll still be people playing it um and i have no doubt that it will be uh, a very different game to what it is today due to all those content updates and uh, the growth of the ecosystem and like i mentioned earlier in the podcast tencent is still releasing new games they're going to find new hits they're going to find new genres and, and, and kind of new gameplay concepts and elements that will be just as big if not bigger uh, people forget that before Honor of Kings there were other games which were seen to be the peak of the China mobile games market but you know there is still plenty of growth left and I think we're going to see you know even bigger games in the future maybe not even from Tencent it could be someone else and so and so you so you know what, what about what about esports we talked about esports a little bit earlier I mean so are you seeing similar trends as well where uh, we still we really have not seen how, how big this market can get esports is, is still quite early on and, and it's still going through a growth uh, growth phase and there's still a need for a lot of um, kind of more infrastructure regulation and investments in that space and so I think the, the opportunity there is quite large in the future and we've seen actually in the last year alone the um, King Pro League which is the Honor of Kings professional esports league has seen the number of teams grow in the past year it's in, it's seen the prize uh, money grow it's seen the number of viewers grow I think that's something that we're only going to see accelerate in the future as more and more people become aware of it and sort of what the, the positives are about. Um, you know, we've been talking about mobile 
gaming, mobile gaming all the time and, and, and in China. But console gaming, you know, it's not doesn't seem to be such a thing uh, here in mainland China. And, you know, wh- why is that, you think? Why is it not really ever, you know, truly taken off in China and like it has in other markets? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because around the world, consoles are massive. You know, the PlayStation 4 has an install base of 60 million users. But in China, you know, it's 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 not really um, big at all. And so you know, a lot of that goes back to history of console gaming in China. In the 90s, they, they were fairly popular. You know, people who, who could afford them by uh, Nintendo Entertainment Systems, mostly they were clones, of course, uh, because Nintendo didn't distribute them within China. Um, but what happened in 2000 is that the Chinese government banned uh, console gaming. Um, the, the, the reason for that is the same reason that we see today, where, you know, why Tencent is restricting uh, minors on all games. is that, you know, it's unhealthy for them, it causes addiction and all of that. And so the reason for that was because the Chinese government saw it as basically being, you know, electronic heroin or poison or whatever you want to call it, as the media do these days. And so for the past 14, 15 years, consoles have been banned. And it was only in 2014 that consoles became legal again. During that time, you had uh, PC games, which kind of grew. Um, they were free to play. They were social. Uh, they encouraged teamwork and kind of um, lots of people playing together across internet cafes, mobile games. Everyone has a mobile. Uh, again, free to play games, social games. Everyone wanted to play them. The console, you've got to spend you know, $500 up front for the, the actual box itself. Then you've got to spend $60 per game um, just to play it. On top of that, there are games you've never heard of uh, from the West, which no one really plays a huge amount of. And so there's all these barriers to entry for console that you just don't see in PC and in mobile. And so that's what's kind of led to slow growth of the market, uh, even though they are legal now, because there are all these barriers to entry. Yes, there's a niche market. Yes, it's growing. Yes, there's an investment in uh, console games uh, from Chinese developers and publishers, but it's always going to be a niche market. It's going to take a very long time to grow. And there's a lot of, um, not worry, but there's a lot of concern as to whether it will actually be as big as PC and mobile. And in my opinion, it's never going to get to that point. Uh, maybe if a Chinese competitor comes on board and figures out a way to integrate it with mobile and PC gaming and sort of, uh, you know, the Android box style of TV gaming, then that might work. But in general, consoles is always going to be a fairly niche uh, thing in China. Yeah. yeah, and even then, I mean, you know, there's 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 been quite a bit of a, uh, a console community, but a lot of it was around like the Xbox and the Xbox 360, just because that was the most easily hacked piece of hardware and you could easily get, um, you know, pirated uh, copies yeah. of, of games and, and, and things like that. So during the console ban, you did see, um, you know, great imports of consoles. Xbox 360 and Wii being very popular, PlayStation 2 as well. The main reason that they could all be hacked, as you said, and people could just get games for free or or extremely cheaply. And so that's one of the reasons that they were. But the new consoles cannot be hacked. Uh, Games do cost a lot of funds. Consoles cost a lot of funds. So there's still a lot of barriers there. Yeah, Yeah, well, great. Well, well, Daniel, um, thank you so much for for taking the time. Uh, Before before we do go, uh, the last question that we like to ask all of our guests is, um, how can our listeners find you? Yes, I mean, if you're interested in sort of the reports that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you can find them on our website which is nicopartners.com uh, for me I personally have a presence on Twitter um, which is the username for that is JugaEX so I mean there'll be a link to, to my Twitter so I just click on that feel free to follow me uh, usually I just post updates about the China games market and the games market in general and uh, we'll start a conversation on there great well Daniel thank you so much again for, for, for the time thanks so much for having me and, um, and to our listeners if you enjoyed this episode uh, if you could just take one minute to leave us a review on iTunes we'd really appreciate it if you're on Overcast you can just uh, press that little star button right there. Uh, that'll that'll recommend us. Or if you are in uh, Pocket Cast, you can click on the uh, the recommend button, and it's a great way to show your support. <laughs> one second. Sorry, oh my gosh. I was holding that in. Um, one second. I got. One second. Leave that in. Oh gosh. <laughs>